Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am on your radio dial. Uh, hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen and that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show... We showcase one of our many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share the recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. My guest today is an alcoholic who's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous, so I'd like to welcome Dan to the show. Hi, Dan. G'day, Bill. Um, Now, Dan, we usually talk about growing up and the things that influenced us. Um, I guess to, to try and understand why we took the path we took in life. So do you want to talk about early your early life and um, what your family life was like? Sure. Um, wow. My early life. Um, as far as oh, looking back at it now, it was it was nice. My family life was, you know, look, my parents are divorced, but that to me was normal. And I had a comfortable, comfortable upbringing. I was well looked after. I was loved, and I was safe. Um, you know, I lived with my mum. My parents got divorced at three. I lived with my mum. I saw my dad occasionally, and you know, life was just life. It, it was what it was. Nothing bad. Nothing different. Nothing traumatic in that in any sense that I understood you know I went to school got um I went to boarding school which was uh quite traumatic for this this alcoholic that uh, didn't know he was an alcoholic and um but that was part of my normality you know that was part of my truth and all that sort of thing so look nothing happened as far as I'm aware in my um in my upbringing, that contributed to to the way that I think. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, that, that's a positive. Yeah. Um, so, were you a happy kid? That that's a question. I mean, I was all right. I was all right. I existed. I was scared. I felt uncomfortable. I felt lonely. I felt lonely in a crowded room. I felt lonely on my own. Did you have I, lots of friends? Oh, None that I considered would always be there. Yeah. It's a, it's a look. We could talk about this for a long time, but you know, one of one of the problems that I have learnt that I have in you know, in with my alcoholic thinking is is a fear of abandonment and not being good enough. And so, whatever friends I did have, whatever associations that I did have. I didn't realise <clears throat> that it wasn't, you know, I'll use air quotes, I realise I'm on radio, but I didn't realise it wasn't normal to have this overwhelming sense of a fear of abandonment or impending doom 
that they're not going to leave me. So I was always on tenterhooks with regards to any relationships, and that that includes my family as well. Yeah. Did your parents notice this? <sighs> no. No. Of course not. <laughs> you know, we're good at we're certainly I, I The problem for me is that I felt so different in this world. I felt so you know we say in the rooms all the time felt uncomfortable in my own skin. Mm. I've learned you know in my time in recovery that that's <sighs> I'm not terminally unique in that no, sense. No. You're just unique, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the terminal bits the problem. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I am not terminally unique. Um but but I didn't know that this this wasn't and again I'll use that word normal. I didn't know that it wasn't normal to feel this way and the last thing I'm going to do is someone who is scared of literally everything the last thing i'm going to do is someone who is who is shy and lonely and reserved and lacking confidence and and all that thing the last thing i'm going to do is put my hand up and appear to be different or ask for help yep yep you don't want to make it worse absolutely not (laughs) look at me but don't look at me bill (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so um did things change sort of moving from early school to higher school yeah they did they did um look boarding school boarding school was wonderful but traumatic in the sense that i was you know separated from what i felt secure with but at the same time it was a wonderful experience you know um i finished boarding school at 13 and i i i got a scholarship to another school and you know that that familiarity that I had at boarding school, even though I felt uncomfortable and different and scared and all the usual, this is my normality, so I, I, I survived, right? Yeah. Yep. When I w- had to leave that school at 13 and I got this scholarship to this new school, all those feelings of insecurity came flooding back. And, and you know, I, w- I, I was teased no more than anyone else. Yep. This is just a normal experience. I was teased and and I felt insecure amongst what I saw these rich people and I, I I'm the I'm the poor kid even though my intelligence intelligence had got me there bill. But you know what happened is I went to school at I went to this new school at 13 and for some reason about a month into it I was just so utterly traumatized I couldn't go in and that's when I had my first nervous breakdown. Right. So how did that um, affect your life? <laughs> At the age of 13, yeah. I, like, I couldn't go to school. I couldn't go to school. And even to this day, I mean, you know, I can use the word fear, but there's no words to describe what I thought would happen to me if I went into that school. Yeah. I was just paralyzed with mm-hmm. fear and I had no way of explaining what I was feeling or of being able to describe the panic and the, 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 that unique, oh, Jesus, how do I explain what I don't understand? I thought yeah. something bad was going to happen. And I don't mean in a physical sense. I was just paralyzed by fear and not being able to explain it to, to either my parents, doctors, the, 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 the people at school just made it worse. You know, I remember being taken up to the headmaster's office 
and um you know we were trying to work out a plan of action to get me back into school because i got to be at school you know yeah and not being able to explain it it just came out in anger and fear as well and i remember looking out of the office the headmaster had gone to talk to my parents or something and i was left in the office and i was looking out at some um, some kids playing football and i love football you know it's it's what i used to do and and I remember looking at them playing and I just wanted to go and play with them. But my head tells me they don't want you to play with you, play with them. You know, you're not good enough. You're not, you're not really welcome. They'll accept you playing because headmaster has told you to play with them or told them to play with you, excuse me, but they don't really want you to play with them. You Daniel. And, and I felt so lonely, Bill. And so scared and so confused because I look around. <laughs> look, this is even well before I've started drinking. Yeah. You know, I look around and everyone's getting on with life and it's okay. And I, I have no words to explain this fear that I'm feeling about the world. Mm. So what happened? What happened? Yeah. Uh, What's the next? <laughs> I studied at home yeah. for a couple of years. And, you know, I am quite intelligent. That has helped me and, and also hindered me because <laughs> I always thought I could, could get out of things. You know, I, I studied at home for a couple of years. I went and did some exams at school. And finally, I got back to, you know, I, I somehow managed to get to a college. And I was the youngest one there. And, you know, it was, uh, I faked it. I faked it. Mm. I pretended. I struggled through on a daily basis and managed to get the grades that I needed to just continue with my education because that's the norm, isn't it? That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow I got through. Yeah. Not knowing what I know now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So during that time, did you... Were you on any medication? Did you get any assistance? Oh, I got told I suffered from depression and anxiety. Yep. I got put on my first antidepressants at the age of 13. And, you know, funnily enough, I finally stopped them two months ago, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I've been on and off them all my, all my life. And they never did anything, as far as I know, until I knew that I was alcoholic. And, and yep. yeah, you know. Yeah, that, <laughs> I'll leave it there. I yeah. um, so do you want to talk about um, how you got into drinking? What was the pathway? Um, pathway is a funny word. Look, I, all my life, as I, I keep going on about this loneliness, this, this, this feeling of not being good enough and all that sort of thing, um, wanting to be with people but wanting to be on my own. You know, and and that it's only in recovery that I'm learning that you know I have felt felt this uh, fundamental belief that I'm not good enough and I'm unlovable, right? But this has been going on all my life, and I didn't know it. So I would try and fit in to everything and anyone. And drinking was introduced at the age of 16, and I wasn't particularly excited about it. It wasn't something that I, you know, I found it very difficult to be social. I found it very difficult to, to, to speak. I found it, I got nothing to offer. That's my belief. Um, 
and look it's the age of 16 that's what people are doing isn't it that's just the norm we go and rebel a little bit go and try and find a bit of excitement because that's what the grown-ups do and it looks like fun that was my pathway yeah so did it do anything for you absolutely yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's why we're here (laughs) absolutely um yeah i had that first drink and and you know sitting here with you right now i can feel that first drink I can, it's even made me emotional to say that. I can feel what that first drink did to me. And, you know, the problem for for myself and, and, you know, I'll only speak for myself. The problem for myself as an alcoholic is I didn't even know what it did to me. But, um, sorry, I'm just reminiscing about that feeling of it actually going down. I can physically and emotionally feel it. It um it changed everything. It changed everything for, for for the first time in my life I felt my goodness this is what it feels like to be normal. Because it took away the fear, it took about it took away it took away the feelings of not being good enough, the feelings of not having anything to say, the feelings it, it took but I could sit here all day and say say what it took away the fear of being me. It made me all right to be me for that moment. And before I had even finished that first drink, I would wanted the next one. Because if one is good, if this is how good I feel on one, can you imagine how good I'm going to feel on two? Uh, It made everything okay. Yeah. (laughs) So a a number of people um, talk about drinking to blackout on their first drink. Yep. Did you do that? Absolutely. Yeah. And... It's only since I've been in the rooms of AA that I've been, you know, learned that blackout drinking isn't normal. All my life, all my drinking career, I drank to blackout. And if you weren't drinking to blackout, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Why aren't you going as hard as me? I, I don't understand the concept of I've had enough. I don't no. because that's part of my disease. And, you know, I thought blackout drinking was normal. Mm. It's funny you say that because, um, you know, my dad drank, you know, all his life. And it was only after I'd been doing this show for a number of years that I realised that every night my father probably drank to blackout. Mm. And the thing that I couldn't understand is how he could live with himself after he did what he did and said what he said last night, how he could wake up the next morning... And just act as if it didn't happen, and it was because he had, you know, he, he drank to blackout. He was just drinking. He wasn't, he wasn't with us. He was just drinking. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's important to understand alcoholism and drinking to blackout uh, because they're just not there. Yeah. And you know, I didn't know I was doing it because my perception of it is is. You know, my perception of someone who's scared and unwell is I'm not going to put my hands up and say, is this different or whatever. My, Me drinking to blackout, I thought you all were. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> I thought you all were. And for me, I drink... One of the reasons that I used to drink was to connect. To connect with people, to connect with the world, to connect with myself. It made me feel okay. <clears throat> the problem is... One, I drink to blackout and I disconnect. And 
because it's my solution, I don't care about what I do. I don't mean not to care, but I don't feel I don't care because I know that that solution is there the next day and I'll just drink anyway. So I'm in a constant uh, this vicious cycle of not knowing why I drink, not wanting to drink, knowing that it's not really a good idea. But, but Christ in. living soberly is too painful and too scary and I don't even know this. And I drink or I used to drink until the unacceptable became acceptable because I couldn't not. Mm. And I didn't know this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're here in the rooms all the time and I say it very frequently. Uh, we are not bad people learning to be good. We are sick people learning to be well. Yep. And that really resonated me from the very beginning because I didn't want to do what I was doing. I love you. I, I want to connect with you, but I don't know how because I don't know I've got this this disease. Yeah. I don't know. I look around. I see everybody else around in my life drinking normally, but I don't know I feel different soberly. <laughs> yeah, That's the problem. And and because it's my solution, of course, I want to feel better, of course, and, and I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break. Um, I've got a recent recently released song, and it's by Montana Sharp, and it's called Sit, Heal, Feel. Sorry, Sit, Feel, Heal. <laughs> and it's courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. I want a love that feels like breathing. I want a love that feels so easy mm. And I thought it was you You were looking for an ending I was looking for an ending Now you're
just won't do No anger gonna save me deadly music, entertainers and performers around this country. Join me then from 11 to 12 Fridays, Community Radio, Thresia, 8.55 on the AM dial. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, uh, you can find them on your preferred podcast platform or just search 3CR Living Free and check out our website. Uh, you can also contact us via phone or email. Today I'm talking with Dan and we're talking about alcoholism and his recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Dan, before the break, we're talking about the fact that Alcohol made you feel normal. Yeah. Um, so do you want to talk about where your drinking took you? <laughs> it's where it took me. Um, quite. Look, I'll, I'll preface that by saying it didn't matter where it took me because it was my solution. It was my solution to the problem that was me and I didn't even know it because as far as I'm concerned, I don't understand the world and... <sighs> I don't fit in. So, you know, I drank until the unacceptable became acceptable, Bill. I can't stop drinking, even if I want to, because as I keep, as I say again, it's my solution, and I don't even know that I'm unwell. So the problem for me is that, you know, I, c- I can have everything around me that uh, people would think that I'm supposed to have, and it's not enough. I still feel, still feel that like I'm going to lose everything. I still feel scared. I still feel so. You know, I can have the children. I can have the wife. I can have the house, and I still can't stop drinking. And I hate myself because of that. Because I don't want to. I know that I'm hurting the people that I love, but I don't know how to stop because I don't know that I suffer from the disease of alcoholism. My drinking, you know, took me. I've I've been homeless three times. I have. You know, I had trouble with the police. I have begged, borrowed, steal, stolen. You know, I've done it all, all the usual stuff. Um, but I've also been in, in wonderful places. You know, I, I, I did have the wife, the, the kids and all this sort of thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter where I end up because I'm going to drink anyway. 
because I don't know how to live life on life's terms and I don't know that there is something fundamentally skewed with the way I think about myself and the world. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the understanding, isn't it? It's, a, it's not your drinking, it's that you're thinking that's the problem. Yes. The drinking's a solution. Drinking's a solution. But it's not the right one. No. Yeah. Um, so do you want to talk about relationships and trying to have a relationship as an alcoholic? I can't have a relationship as an alcoholic. Not actually. Let me rephrase that. I can't have a relationship if I don't know that I suffer from alcoholism. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's um. You know, I. Or. What are you? Untreated. Untreated. And it's you know it's only since that I've come into AA that I, you know I'm in recovery now. Untreated. I want you. I desperately need you to love me. I desperately need you to validate me. I desperately want your support. Your love etc etc because i am not enough but i don't know how to cope with it and i don't know how to be i don't know how to appropriately react to emotions or situations or life i don't know how to do it because i i I come from this standpoint of fear and that it's all gonna you know i'll use those words impending doom and if I'm feeling like that all the time and feeling that I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy enough to be loved, then I'm going to grab a drink again. Not because I want to, but because I, you know, I've learned in recovery that I don't, for some reason, and I don't question it anymore, Bill, for some mm. reason, I don't know how to deal with emotions and feelings and situations that I can't control or are uncomfortable to me. And I project that onto other people. I project my fears, my insecurities, my desires, my need to control everything about my life because, Christ, I'm scared. And I drive away unintentionally everything and anyone from my life. I feel isolated and I create my own reality because of my behavior and my thinking. And I use that to justify drinking more. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good description of alcoholism. (laughs) Um, So do you want to talk about the sort of things, you know, when you became aware that it was more of a problem than a solution? what What sorts of things did you try and do? I was never aware that it was a solution you know i I didn't know it was a solution the problem's you mate the problem's the world the problem's the police for taking away my children the problem's the police for putting me locking me up the problem is everybody else the problem's not me and i have no way of communicating this because i don't know myself and you know we were speaking before i cannot know what i don't know it's impossible for me to, and, and you can't tell me how I feel because you're not me. And, and, and this, this, you know, I'm pointing at me here, this scared alcoholic is unable to be told what to do or to be vulnerable about who I am and how I feel. Because if I'm vulnerable, well, then you'll leave me. <laughs> because I'm not good enough. I'll be worse off. I'll be, and I'll be worse off then anyway. Yeah. So I, I can't listen 
as 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 an alcoholic who's is in active addiction i can't listen not because i don't want to i can see what i'm doing is wrong and doesn't work but i cannot there's no believe no. I, i'm hopeless yeah. you know i came into this hopeless and absolutely convinced i use those words again that i was terminally unique and that nobody understands how i feel and if you were feeling like i felt you would drink too mm. and that's my reality mm. especially when i look around and see everyone else getting on with life all right and the problem for me is that i see everyone else getting on all right and i hate them and i feel even more isolated <laughs> you know i came yeah. in <laughs> I have felt suicidal and homicidal most of my goddamn life without even knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, did you seek treatment? Or did people seek treatment for you? Bit of both. Yeah. Bit of both, but I never believed it would work because I knew, or, hey, look, I get told every day, uh, the less I think I know, the better now. And uh, everything I ever thought I knew didn't work for me. And that's right. And I had to come to this, you know, we call it a gift of desperation in the rooms. But I had to be pretty much broken in every single way before I would even contemplate the idea of a life without alcohol. Because every I, I have, you know, I have been hospitalized. I've been institutionalized. I've been to 40 or 50 detoxes and rehabs. And not one of them did I come out of them and not go straight back to my my solution as I saw it. Because I'll say again, if you felt like I felt, you would drink too. Sobriety is far too painful and scary and lonely and confusing for me without understanding what I am afflicted with. And that's the disease of alcoholism. I don't want to hurt you, but I will. Yeah. And I don't mean just physically, I mean emotionally, mentally, yeah. spiritually. And I don't even know that I'm doing it, but I'm very aware I haven't answered your question. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's um, a, uh, well, did well, I seek treatment? Yeah. I knew there was something wrong, but I couldn't put it into words. I go to doctors and they tell me not to drink. I go, I go to psychologists, psychiatrists, and they tell me not to drink. I know that, but I can't not. And on a daily basis, I'm hurting the ones I love and I'm hurting myself. And I don't want to, but I don't know how to put this into words because when a doctor tells me not to drink, Bill, I want to punch him in the face and go and get a drink. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I went and got the drink. But yeah. that's how it makes me feel because all my life I have felt so frustrated at not knowing what is wrong with me and being not being able to put it into words yeah so when did that change when did you understand alcoholism was a problem for you it's only coming into aa that my life yeah. has changed yeah do you want to talk about how you got into aa how did i get into aa i was i had no choice i had no choice look i got into aa not to stop drinking but to um I don't know, somehow alleviate the consequences of my drinking and to make the suffering stop. I did it simply to tick some boxes in order to get what I thought I wanted again. And for some reason, this time I was, you know, I was homeless again. But as I've said to you earlier, that makes no difference. You can put me in any situation I, <laughs> that you want. Yep. As long as I've got my solution, I don't care because I get so disconnected, but I've got my solution. I don't care. Yep. 
look, I had external reasons in order to get sober, but I never thought that I would find in sobriety absolutely everything that I have ever been looking for in my life because it's only in sobriety that I have learned what I suffer from. So I didn't want to get sober, Bill, <laughs> because my, my, my truth as an untreated or, or alcoholic not in recovery is that there's nothing beyond, there's nothing worthwhile without a drink because it makes me feel okay. Yeah. <laughs> so some for some reason, I look, I had to stay in the rooms for, for a little bit and I heard what I needed to hear and thank God for that because I wouldn't be here today without it and I'm happier than I've ever been. Yeah, that's really good. Well, <laughs> listen, we might take a short break there. Uh, I've got another song. Uh, this is an early um, 2023 song from Montana Sharp again and it's called Something Wicked. The darkness that your light don't see. A devil lies underneath me. The devil lies, the devil lies. Call me with the candy glass. Till the diamond rust and turns cold.
someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. And we're talking with Dan about alcoholism and his recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, Dan, before the break, we are talking about um, getting into AA. So, what was it like going to your first AA meeting? Strange. Scary? Scary. Uh Life was scary, Bill. <laughs> um, no more scary than anything else. Look, it was weird. I um, I was confronted by happy people that I hated, and I saw some miserable people that I also hated. But that was that was that was how I, you know, I'm always better than or less than something. Yep. And yep. it was all right. I mean, <laughs> I can't, I'm here now, so. Something happened, you know. Yeah, that's right. It's we make it, we make it. That's right. Uh, so when did you first understand what the real problem was? I th- I don't I, I I suppose looking back at it now I, I 
I, I, I identify, we talk of identification in the program. I identified with what they were saying pretty much straight away. I saw, I looked around the room, you know, these people that I didn't like and that I was jealous and envious and bitter towards, you know, and, and this again is my experience of the world. Yeah. You know, why me, why me, why me? So I suppose for the first time in my life, I was, I had no choice but to listen and I heard wonderful people say why they couldn't stop drinking even though they wanted to and as much as I disassociated with them in terms of I couldn't understand how they had gotten better I looked at them and you know they've got the nice clothes on and this that and the other and for the first I I just went Christ that's me I wasn't wearing the nice clothes obviously but there was something between what they said that that I just felt a connection. I didn't even know what that word meant when I came into the rooms. I, you know, I don't. I, w- I want to say, but none of this made sense to me. None of what they say makes sense to me. But I understood and I felt it. I felt that desperation and I felt that pain that they were still so eloquently able to describe that I hadn't been able to describe to anybody all my life. Yeah, so they gave you the words. They gave me the words to what I was feeling. And, you know, I suppose that was the beginning of that. Even this, you know, all these words, these buzzwords, I hated them, hope, faith, (laughs) all all this. I I just wanted to know how to stop the bad stuff that was happening to me. And I didn't understand it wasn't everyone else. It was how I felt inside. Yeah. But they were able to put that into words. And I looked at them and I saw, well, hang on. They've come from the same place as me. Not necessarily in a physical sense, but in an emotional sense or, or a mental state. They've come from it and they look a bit better and seem a bit happier. And while I'm envious and jealous of that and don't like them... For the first time in my life, I'm going to listen. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want what they had? Absolutely. Yeah. So what what were the steps you took to get to that point where you felt more comfortable with yourself? That's been a process. Um, I did the suggested things that you hear in the rooms, and I'm not going to go into all of them here, but I got myself a sponsor, and he has been wonderfully patient with me and i remember sitting in sitting in my my home and you know i am angry i am bitter i am hard work i am impatient i am not a nice person to talk to because i am absolutely full of fear and you've taken away my solution as i saw it the drink from me and you're now now telling me that everything will be okay And I'm going to show you how to live life on life's terms without burning your life to the ground on a daily basis. And I can't see how what you guys are telling me or him in particular is going to work. And, you know, he just said these words to me that that resonated with me or they meant something to me. He said, Daniel, you deserve to be happy. And I looked up and I burst into tears and I just said, I don't know how. Yep. I don't know what happiness is. I don't know what freedom is. I don't know what feeling calm within myself is. 
and you know he said if you want what we've got do what we do and i'm going to take you through the book as i was taken through and as i said he's exactly the same as me and it's been a wonderful ride i'm here today yeah (laughs) so how did things improve they improved exponentially on a daily basis but i've got to notice the improvements um you know very quickly very quickly for me the belief that a drink or a drug would make things better was removed now i don't know how that happened and quite frankly i don't care anymore but you know i I use that word connection again these people were saying the same saying my story but they seemed to be okay happy and having a laugh and i had tried everything else and i thought why not give this a go Mm. and you know there are certain things we get told to do on a daily basis i didn't agree with them i didn't understand them i didn't like them but i wasn't drinking and i felt a little bit better and life was getting a little bit better so i'm convinced by this point after 27 years of drinking i'm convinced that something's wrong here it's still the world in my book in early days The world's still wrong and owes me something. Um, But just by listening and doing some different things, I had, you know, my sponsor said that AA can stand for altered attitudes. And if I recognize that, you know, I I don't like to use the word problem, but if, if, if something is askew with my thinking, then the wonderful thing about that, Bill, is that I'm the only thing I can change. (laughs) You know, I've tried all my life to control people, places and things in order to get what I thought I wanted. And even when I wanted it, even when I even when I got what I thought I wanted, my alcoholic mind says, well, there must be more. Is this it? Is this it? And I and I'm still obsessed with the solution because what I have learned in the rooms is that I never felt enough. I never felt good enough. And. I don't know why or how I felt that way from whatever. I don't know why, but that is the fact. And I can try and manipulate and and, and change the world to make me feel better. But if I don't feel good enough inside and I I learn to love myself, knowing that I'm worthy of happiness, then nothing's going to change. I do feel worthy today. And I I say, you know, it, it still irks me to say that, that I'm good enough. But I feel it, and I don't say that with any degree of any hint of arrogance or or, or anything like that. I I understand what it's like to wake up and feel okay with who you are. Mm, yeah. And you know, like, they, like other people, yeah. like like quote unquote normal people. But if I don't know that I'm feeling different anyway, mm. then I will always go back to my solution as I see it. You know, when he said the words, "You deserve to be happy," do I? Do I? I'm just a bad person that can't stop drinking, mate. And I don't know that there's a way of living without my solution. And I don't know what happiness is. I don't know what calm and peace and being present is because I'm always worried about what's going to happen or I'm regretting and hating myself for what has happened. And, you know, little by little, I feel a little bit calmer. I feel a little bit more secure in myself, a little bit more worthy within myself and slowly over time the need to 
solve the world's problems ain't my problem anymore. Because mm. if I deal with me, then everything's all right. Yeah. And I'm shown how to do it. I can't do any of this on my own. And one of the most wonderful things of AA is that I don't have to do it alone. Yeah, that's my understanding of hope. Hope is that the problem can be solved and it's not up to me. It's a shared It's a shared thing. Yeah. 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 What, 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 what do we say? The acronym for hope. One of them is we've got all these things. Hope. Um, hearing other people's experiences. Yeah. Learning that I'm not terminally unique. Mm-hmm. And that I'm, I'll say it again, I'm not a bad person learning to be good. I'm a sick person that didn't know it. Learning and being taught how to be well and living a life worth living. Yeah, contributing, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. what a life worth living is because, because to my uneducated mind, well, there's got to be something more. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, and I'll say it again, I can't know what I don't know. No, no. Now I've got a way of living, and it's it's wonderful. Yeah. So what's life like now for you? It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk, talk about the sort of things you're able to do uh, now that you couldn't? I can do anything I want to do. Yeah. Now, that this doesn't mean that life is perfect or easy on a daily basis. Life will do what life does. But I, I have, you know, the only power that I have is my appropriate reaction to what is happening. And, you know, that's a wonderful power because then I have the power of choice in how I react to it without thinking that it's all about me and I've got to solve everything and without having that solution in which disconnects me from from everything and everyone. Mm. Life has its ups and downs. Um but on a daily basis, I wake up, and, and this is something I could never, ever say. On a daily basis, I wake up with hope. I wake up a, a, with a faith that if I do this program, everything will be okay. And I'm excited about what the day will bring without having to know what the day will bring. Mm. I can talk to people. I can look people in the eye. I can feel good about myself, and I can enjoy being present without worrying about also things that i've got no control of Mm. i'm okay right now and that that that's a freedom that i never ever you know it took me into the age of 43 to stop drinking so 43 years of being trapped and and not even knowing it Mm. you know i wake up excited and i put my head on the pillow sober looking forward to what the next day will bring and i never thought i'd say that Mm. yeah so do you want to say how long you've been in aa I've been in A for two and a half years. Right. And um, identifying your problem and identifying um, the problems that alcoholism cause in your life. So have you been able to improve your relationships with other people? It's own, you know, there's a, there's a phrase in the rooms, let the rooms love you back to life. And... It's only in learning to accept myself that I am able not to place expectations on others in terms of relationships. And I'm talking about in every interaction, if I'm if I'm scared and you're going to leave me and this could be the checkout person, this could be a, it could be anyone. Yeah. I am not being the authentic me. 
once I feel that I'm okay as a person and I'm worthy of, of being happy, then I can be the authentic me without the need to control whether you like me or not. I like myself and, and it's changed every relationship and every interaction I have with every human being on this planet that I have. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's real. Yeah. It's real. I don't have to pretend anymore to be what I think you want me to be. And that's that's so freeing. Yeah. So have you got involved in service yourself? Yes, I've got a I've got a home group. I, I you know and I and I do it because a it was firstly suggested sorry firstly yeah. suggested to me, but now I do it because I love it. And again, two and a half years ago, if you'd have told me I'd be sat here in front of you, having this conversation, I'd have said you're mad. But I do it because I enjoy it. I do I do regular frequent meetings. I I have sponsees that I work through, take through the book with. I do shares at detoxes, all the ones I've been to. It's lovely going back and uh, for the right reasons. And I'm always on the end of the phone and, you know, life's all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, life's good when you're, when you're doing something. Um, doing something. Doing something for others um, that only you can do in real terms. Nobody else can help an alcoholic apart from another yeah. alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. We are a unique breed, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Once we know, then, there, you know, there is a solution. Now I'm quoting the book. There yeah. is a solution. <laughs> okay. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Australia on 1300 or jump online at aa.org.au for more information on recovery and available meetings. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Dan for sharing his alcoholism recovery story with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous helped him. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when Anne will be talking to Lois about recovery from compulsive eating through Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.